0: Well, good evening. Turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 13, if you would, please. I don't know how many of you were here at the very beginning of the service when Donovan began, but uh, as he just began speaking, I thought I would come out and just say, guys, do you, do you mind if I start by singing a song? Uh, but I thought I wouldn't do that after all. It's been kind of interesting being here for a couple of days and, and kind of getting used to Albuquerque. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, I've spent many years in Colorado Springs, 14 years pastoring up there before uh, the Lord moved me at the end of last summer down to Las Vegas. And uh, it's, it's been an incredible journey. But I, I love going to new places, I love meeting new groups of believers, having the opportunity to uh, teach different places, and to see the work that the Lord is doing in different places, and then, of course, you get to experience new things in those new communities, and, of course, I w- went to breakfast, actually, the other day, and someone encouraged me that I had to have this dish that had green chili, uh, because that's, like, what Albuquerque is famous for, evidently, and, uh, and it seems like every meal someone has said that I need to have something with green chili, and so I have, and... Um, which has been interesting. It's been awesome. It's been really good because fortunately I love green chili. But the first night I was here, I laid down and and you know how you eat certain things and you just, it does strange things to you and and not just to your body, uh, but to your mind. And you have dreams in these sorts of things. And I actually had this dream, and it was just a bizarre thing, because dreams are bizarre anyway. There's something that is, that that kind of, it almost seems, gives you some glimpse into another realm, another dimension of existence entirely. Uh, You know, like when you're in a dream and you're trying to run from something, but you never run full speed. Have you ever noticed that in a dream? You can't, everyone else runs full speed, but you're always, you know, doing one of these kinds of things, like you're treading wood or something, and You try to hit something and, you know, everyone else is swinging full speed, but you're like doing one of these. And it's just dreams are weird. You open your mouth to scream and it's like, and nothing comes out. I had one of those dreams where just everything just kind of was changing just moment by moment in the dream. And there were three dogs that were standing there. And and one of them was a bulldog and one of them was a greyhound and one of them was a chihuahua. And as these three, and all of them were male, and they were standing there, and they were just kind of talking. And then, as they were talking, uh, a French poodle began to walk by. And it was the weirdest dream I think I might have ever had in my entire life. And and then you know how things kind of morph in your dreams; you can end up different places, and everything kind of changes. Well, as I was watching these male dogs, and they're now watching the French poodle that's walking by, and the bulldog, I realized, was Dave Rauch. And, and I looked over at the greyhound, and it was, it was Chip Lasco, and, and I looked over at the chihuahua, and it was Raul Reese. And I'm trying to make sense, that, and there's a part of me that's trying to wake up, because it was a nightmare, and I'm just telling you, if I just wake up, it'll be fine. But they're all, they're all watching this French poodle, and she stops and she looks at them, and she didn't become anybody, but she looks at them, and she says, I, I know what you're thinking, and, and I'll go out with one of you, but here's the test. You need to use the words liver and cheese in a sentence. I'm thinking, this is just bizarre. I need to wake up. Any minute now, I'll wake up. Well, Dave, the bulldog, says, I can do that. I like liver and cheese. And she looks at Dave, the bulldog, and she says, anybody could have come up with that sentence. And and then Chip, the greyhound, he steps forward and he says, well, I can do better than that. I don't like liver and cheese. She kind of shakes her head and says, no, that's pretty lame as well. And Rawl, the chihuahua, steps forward and he says, I've got it, man. This is neat. This is neat. Live her alone. She's mine. <laughs> so, other than that, I have loved being in Albuquerque. Father, I pray tonight that you would minister to our hearts Lord God, that you would speak to us. And Father, that you would transform our lives. Lord, that you would take your word and by your spirit, breathe into not only our minds, Lord, but our hearts. And Father, that we might hear your voice speaking to us, that we might be challenged, that we might be convicted. Lord, that we might be overwhelmed with your love, that we would be encouraged. and Father, that we would be built up in our most holy faith. So, Lord, we yield to you tonight. Lord, we ask that not only would these Bibles be open, but that our hearts would be open. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, Judges chapter 13 begins the story of a man named Samson, probably a biblical account that most... If not all of you are at least somewhat familiar with, but perhaps the Lord would speak some new things to our hearts. Perhaps the Lord would just remind us of some things that we haven't even forgotten, but that we simply need to hear again. Samson, you see, was born to parents that were, well, his mom had been barren up to that point. And, of course, we know that every woman within Israel desired to bear children. If, if nothing else, there was that hope that perhaps the promised Messiah would come through them. And so it was almost seen as a reproach in their society, in their culture at that time, if a woman did not have children. And so during a time where the children of Israel were walking far from the Lord, were not following after the Lord... For a period of about 40 years, they had been sold into the hands of the Philistines. And the Philistines were oppressing the children of Israel. And it was about this time that it tells us in verse 3 of Judges 13 that the angel of the Lord appeared to this woman. Now, this woman was the wife of a man named Manoah. Manoah and his wife presumably were praying for children. Certainly, you have to imagine that she was. And now the angel of the Lord appears to her. I believe personally, and you can disagree should you choose to, but I believe that this angel of the Lord is what we call a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ himself. And we see some clues to that in some of the later verses, and we'll point them out as we go through. But this angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, verse 3, and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son." And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, Numbers chapter 6, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down and look it up later. But in Numbers chapter 6, it gives us the requirements for one who would take a Nazarite vow. And that Nazarite vow is here referenced by the angel of the Lord as he speaks to Manoah's wife, who is, by the way, unnamed. So we'll call her Mrs. Manoah. And so the angel of the Lord says, this child that you're going to bear will be a Nazarite from birth. Numbers chapter 6 tells us that generally this Nazarite vow was taken in a temporary fashion. It wasn't the norm. That someone would be a Nazarite from birth and for the totality of their life. But for Samson, that was the case. And there were three requirements for that vow, which was a vow of consecration to the Lord. The one we're most familiar with, of course, as it relates to Samson, is that the hair was not to be cut for the entire duration of that vow. But there were two other requirements. One was that they were to have nothing to do with wine. That is referenced here in the words of the angel of the Lord to Mrs. Manoah. And the third one was that they were not to touch the carcass of anything that had died. They were not to touch a dead animal. They were not to make themselves unclean ceremonially in that fashion. And so all of these things are now laid out to Mrs. Manoah for Samson's life before he's ever born. So verse 6, the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God, very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son." Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Now, I want to be careful with this because the Scripture doesn't spell this out specifically. So again, some of this is a matter of my personal opinion. But I find it interesting. Whenever God works, we see this a lot in the Scripture. We've experienced it, every one of us, in our lives personally. But when the Lord begins to work, He's always working in layers. There is so much that God is doing. There may be a big-picture item That he's working on. And there may be a number of people that the Lord brings into that situation. To deal with a situation. And the Lord uses their specific gifts. In order to bring his word to bear on a situation. Or in order to accomplish his purposes in a given situation. But at the same time the Lord can be doing a a myriad of other things concurrently. In other words let's say right now. The Lord may be using me to bring his word to a congregation of people and hopefully, and you'll have to be the judge of that, encouraging his people, ministering to his people through the gifting that he's allowed me to partake of. But at the same time, the Lord's doing a work in me. And as I'm studying the Word, the Lord's speaking to my heart, and as I'm talking to others about the things that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart to bring to this fellowship for this weekend, the Lord may be doing things in their lives that are completely different. And so God is at work in multiple ways at at the very same time with multiple individuals. Now, the ultimate thing that the Lord is doing is bringing about a deliverer for Israel. But I also see him working in the life of Manoah. Certainly he's working with Mrs. Manoah. The angel of the Lord keeps appearing to her and speaking to her. But I wonder if Manoah wasn't having some struggle in his relationship with his wife in her hearing from the Lord and him trusting in her hearing from the Lord. Not that a man would ever have a struggle with his wife hearing from the Lord. Not that a man would ever become prideful and puffed up and arrogant and say, well, if the Lord wanted to speak to our family, he'd speak to me. Not that any of us would ever struggle with something like that, of course, but other people. And so Manoah, it's interesting. His wife hears from the Lord. She comes back, tells Manoah everything the Lord has just told her, and he says, Lord, can you send the angel back again to tell us what we're supposed to do with this child? Well, wait a minute. Didn't she just say what you're supposed to do with this child? And so the angel of the Lord, it says, if God says, Sure, Manoah, I'll send the angel back. The angel comes back, but who does he come to? Mrs. Manoah. And he's not with her again. And so it says in verse 10, The woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? Now, she just told him he was. And guys, I, I hope that you're not this dense and having a struggle listening and believing your wife. Because sometimes I am. But are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? She's told you twice. Why are you asking again? And so the angel of the Lord, verse 13, said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. And all that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. And so from there, Manoah begins to put this offering together for the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord has him set out this offering dedicating it to the Lord and you'll notice the word Lord there is in all capital letters which indicates the name of God. This is not Lord as a title, master or uh, owner, that kind of Lord. It is Yahweh. The name of God, at least as as near as we can know and understand what the name of God was in this day. But you'll notice in verse 18, after Manoah has asked him, what is your name? Verse 18, the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now this is the same angel of the Lord that just a moment ago when he said, are you the one who appeared to this woman? His simple answer was, I am. And I told you there were indications through this text that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. In other words, Jesus appearing in a human form before he came as a child born in that stable in Bethlehem. So now he says, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. And my mind immediately goes to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Where unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah takes the offering, it tells us, and he offers it to the Lord, and the angel of the Lord consumes the offering, and then ascends in this flame from this altar. And you notice Manoah's response. You jump down to verse 22. Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. Now, no doubt what he's thinking is what Moses experienced in Exodus chapter 33. When he asked to see the presence of God, let me see your glory. And the Lord said, you may not see my glory for no man can see my face and live. Manoah evidently was familiar with that. And as the angel of the Lord ascends in this flame of fire and disappears, he's thinking, this was God. And he thinks, I'm going to die. We're going to die. Because we've seen the face of God. And fortunately, his wife's a little more logical than he is. Verse 23, his wife said to him, uh, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering or a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these At this time. I mean she says, wait a minute, Manoah, if we were gonna die, why would he have just told me I'd have a son? We gotta live at least another nine months. And that's basically what she's saying to him. So verse twenty four, so the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And notice this and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman. Now this is the first recorded quote of Samson. And as we go through, you'll find he wasn't exactly what you would call an eloquent man. He says some of the most bizarre things. And the first quote we have of this man who's going to deliver Israel, I have seen a woman. Well, that's profound, Samson. Thank you very much. But we see a number of things beginning to happen. The Spirit of the Lord is beginning to move upon the man. But we're going to see that Samson was what you might refer to as a he-man with a she-weakness. He's a man who has a struggle in the area of sexuality. He's a man who has a struggle in his relationships with women. And it's all, you see the beginnings of the difficulty for him here. Everything was initiated by what he saw. Everything was in accordance with the physical. And you see a man whose life was given to compromise almost from the earliest stages of of anything we see in this man and his relationships, especially with women. He's hanging out with the Philistines, which is probably not the group that a man of God should have been hanging out with. It's the group that the Lord is going to call him to suppress so that they can no longer oppress the children of Israel. But he's hanging out with the Philistines. He sees this woman, it says in verse 2, in Timnah, of the daughters of the Philistines, now therefore get her for me as a wife. Of course, there's an issue of unequal yoking. She no doubt was following after the gods of the Philistines, but he saw her and he was pleased with how she looked So he says to his parents, get her for me as a wife. Well, his father and mother, verse 3, said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Or you might have a margin translation that says that literally she is right for my eyes or she is right in my eyes. Verse 4, his mother and father did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now you don't have to turn there because I don't want to take a lot of your time and get you distracted from this text, but I want to read you a portion from Numbers chapter 6 and that Nazarite vow, the commandment for that Nazarite vow regarding wine, because it wasn't as simple as thou shalt not drink wine. We've seen it already. She was during her pregnancy not to have anything that was wine or similar drink or anything of the vine. Well, Numbers chapter six was very specific for the Nazarite. It says he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine. Nor vinegar made from, excuse me, similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. Well now that's interesting because that tells me that a Nazarite, especially one who was to be a Nazarite from birth his entire life, was to not get anywhere near anything having to do with a grapevine. But where do we find Samson in verse 5? He came to the vineyards of Timnah. And I wonder, is he flirting with his Nazarite vow? Samson, you're not supposed to be anywhere near anything having to do with grapes, from seed to skin. And you're in the vineyards of Timnah? Well, it says, now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why would Samson not tell his mom and dad what he had done? Man, if I had a lion attack me, Probably not likely in Albuquerque. But if on my way to church tonight, a lion had attacked me, you'd all hear about it. Provided I lived through it. And especially if I had taken that lion and torn it in two. If I had no firearm with me, and the lion attacked me, jumped through the sunroof of my rental car... And I pulled to the side of the road while battling him and holding him off with one hand, ripped his head off and tore him in two. That's the first thing you would have heard about tonight. (laughs) Funny thing happened to me on the way to service. You'd have all heard about it. But Samson seems not to tell those closest to him, his parents. Why? Well, the Nazarite vow, he wasn't supposed to touch a dead carcass. And see, we'll see Samson go back to this carcass again. And again, he's flirting with vo- the violation of his Nazarite vow. Verse 7, he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. And after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, here's what happens when you read something like that. All the ladies in the fellowship go, "Oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he turn aside to see the carcass of the lion? But every guy in the room says, well, I, I could see that. Because it's a guy thing, gals. I mean, I tossed that carcass of the lion over there. It must be in, well advanced in the stages of decay by now. I think I'll go check it out. It's a guy thing. Every guy can understand why Samson would do this. Man, if there's bugs in I want to see. Wonder if it's still there. Wonder if something's been eating it. You see the same thing on family vacation. You're driving down the road. There's something dead on the side of the road. Most women will turn away. Ooh. Most guys will go, what is it? And it's a game to try and identify that mangled piece of flesh on the side of the road. Am I wrong? No, exactly. Now, that's a generalization. Some women are just, whoa, did you see that? Raccoon? And the guy's like, oh, that's gross. But that's not the norm. So Samson turns aside to see this carcass of this lion. And verse 8 tells us, behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. Now that's a stretch even for me. But he reaches in, grabs some honey, and he just walks down the road eating it. So he takes some honey, went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. And they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now most of us would just simply say, well, yeah, because they wouldn't have wanted it. Mom, Dad, you want some honey? Where'd you get it? Oh, from an old dead lion carcass. No, I don't want any of the honey. But I believe it was more than that. He's violated his Nazarite vow again. He's hanging out in the vineyards of Timnah. Now he's going back to the carcass of a dead animal and he's reaching inside of it and taking honey out of it. Now from there he goes on to the wedding feast of this woman that he marries and, and then he goes through this whole process of coming to a place where he's angry because he tells this riddle to his groomsmen and they press on his fiancée and she weeps on his shoulder for, you know, I think four of the seven days of the feast. You don't love me or you tell me. And he tells her the answer. She goes back to them. He's all been out of shape. They're angry. And this conflict develops between Samson and the Philistines, which leads us ultimately to chapter 15, Well, actually, look at verse 19, first of all, of chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. He had made a deal with his groomsmen. I'll tell you a riddle. And at the end of the feast, if you can answer it, I'll give you 30 changes of clothing, one for each of you. But if you can't answer it, you give me 30 changes of clothing. Well, he didn't say they had to be new clothes. So when they told him the riddle, he goes down to Ashkelon, kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes and brings them back to these guys. He fulfilled his end of the bargain and he gives them the clothes. But it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Now, later on, because he leaves, and the woman's father gives her to the best man. Thinking, Samson's gone, he's not coming back. So he marries the woman off to the best man. Well, Samson comes back later, bringing a gift. He wants to go in and see his wife. The dad says, I thought you hated her. I thought you were gone. I gave her away. She's married to someone else. You can't go in. Samson gets angry again. He burns up their fields. And then the Philistines come down to get him, 3,000 of them, come down to get Samson. And his people come to Samson and they say, you've got to go out to these guys or they're going to kill us all. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, tie me up, turn me over to them. Just promise you won't kill me yourself. They said, fine. Well, he goes out to them and he breaks through those ropes. And verse 8 tells us that he attacked them of chapter 15, verse 8. He attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And as near as I can tell, that's a biblical way of saying black and blue. He attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. He went down and dwelt in the cleft of the Rock of Etam. The Philistines come down to get him. Three thousand men. They came down to arrest him. And it tells us that in verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then, notice... The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. His bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey I have slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, That he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramoth-Lehi, which literally means jawbone heights. New subdivision in that area. (laughs) Gated community. Jawbone heights. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson, picks up the jawbone of a donkey, and kills a thousand Philistines. Now, Follow the flow and track with me here. Samson from there goes to Gaza. He has a dalliance there with a prostitute, a harlot. And go to verse 4 of chapter 16. Afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The valley of Sorek, interesting name, because Sorek means choice vine. Delilah he meets in this place called the Valley of the Choice Vine. And, and this is kind of sad to me, because Delilah is a pretty name. I mean, it really is kind of a pretty name, but this woman ruins it, like for thousands of generations. He meets this woman, Delilah. He falls in love with her, this woman that he finds in the Valley of the choice vine, but Samson, you're not to be anywhere near. The vine, choice or otherwise, you're to have nothing to do with that. Well, verse 5, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And the amazing thing about this chapter is that it reveals to us very clearly that this one woman, Delilah, is more dangerous than a thousand Philistine soldiers in Samson's life. Because of the control she has over this man, and because he has been given to compromise for him, given over to his lust. It's not the only area, of course, in which we can compromise. We can compromise in any one of a hundred different areas. But Samson, especially in this area, continues to compromise. And so she has now offered all of this money to find the secret to his strength. So verse six, Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And you just for a moment, he think, Well, that's kind of an odd question. Why would she want to know this? But Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now at this point, he's playing with temptation. He's not willing to just get out and just leave her behind. But instead, he comes up with a new story. Well, if they do this, then I'll become weak. Therefore, verse 12, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them. And said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Because Samson had taken his hair around his head and braided it into seven different braids. And I don't know if he pulled them all back behind him in a ponytail or if he just kind of had them hanging down like a lampshade or something all around him. But he's getting closer. Take the locks of my hair and weave them into the loom. And she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Not that anyone here would know what that's like, but you just, you're, you're <laughs> nagged to the point where you want to die. <laughs> that is what sin will do to us. Nagus to the point of death, that he told her, verse 17, all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. And she lulled him to sleep on her knees. And I'm sure the entire story would be different if he'd been on his knees, instead of laying on hers, and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. and she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." So he awoke from his sleep and said, "I will go out as before, at other times and shake myself free." But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. One of the saddest statements in all of the scripture. And see, let me propose something to you that may be different than anything you've ever imagined in your own mind. But I don't believe that Samson was some big buff guy who looked like Arnold. I can't bring myself to believe that. I think it flies in the face of everything that this passage tells us about the man. If you read about that situation in Gaza with the prostitute, it seemed that he could get into town and out of town unnoticed. A guy Arnold's size does not come in and out of town unnoticed. Somebody that's that big and buff has a tendency to be seen and recognized and noticed wherever they go. I kind of have the idea that rather than some muscle-bound oaf, Samson was probably more likely my size. Now, why does someone always laugh when I say that? (laughs) I have the idea that Samson was more likely my size. Because, look, if Arnold picks up the jawbone of a donkey, kills a thousand Philistines, do you look around and go, what is the secret of his strength? No, you go, look at his muscles. He does that in all his movies. See, I mean, that's our attitude. Now, if I picked up the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines, you'd be going, what is his secret? What is the secret of his strength? And it tells us in almost every situation where something like that happens, it tells us the spirit of the Lord came upon him. It didn't matter what Samson looked like. It didn't matter how big he was or how great a fighter he wasn't. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and that was the secret of his strength. And at this point, what is gone is his strength because, and he doesn't even know it, because the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. And it says in verse 21, the Philistines took him, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. And this is where compromise always leads us, blinding, binding and grinding. Without exception. Unless we interrupt the process. Because you see, for Samson, I don't think he was that stupid that he didn't know what was going on with Delilah. Gee, everything I tell her she does when I wake up in the morning. No, I think he knew. But he was compromising himself. Well, let's see. I flirted with the vine. I was in the vineyards of Timnah. This woman's from the valley of the choice vine. And God didn't hammer me. My strength is still here. Oh, and then I touched the carcass of the lion. And my strength is still here. So it really doesn't matter. Shave my head. Ultimately, my strength will still be here. And he compromised, and he compromised, and he compromised. And the Lord will give us sometimes a very, very long leash. But he loves us too much to let us run forever. And it's like when you have a dog and you want your dog outside with you in the yard while you're working and you chain him to the tree, and it's not because you hate your dog, but you give him a long enough leash that they can kind of walk around. They see a cat and they go chasing the cat. And you watch him, they're, bloom, 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 and they're running across the yard. Well, there comes a point. they can run and run and run and run and run. And there comes a point the chain gets tight. and Bart, and the dog's laying flat on his back. You don't do that because you hate your dog. You don't want your dog out in the street getting hit by a car. The Lord will at some point pull the chain. Because He loves us that much. Samson compromised and compromised and compromised. There came a point where the Lord said, Enough, Samson. And Samson didn't know it right away. And it cost him. Blinding. Not seeing the effect that his compromise was having on him. Binding finding himself all tied up, wrapped up in knots, and grinding, life just being this circle, round and round and round as he was grinding there in the prison. Now the good news is our God is a God of restoration. And it tells us there in verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Samson ultimately prays a prayer, let me die with the Philistines, that I wonder what would have happened had he prayed differently. But I think at that point, he's just done. But it says that he took out more Philistines in his death than he ever had taken out in his life. And the Lord gave him another opportunity to use his strength as the ultimate point. How Samson chose to use that, we can debate forever. But the fact of the matter is, is that our God, who is the God of the second chance, and the third chance, and the 33rd chance, gave Samson another chance. And the hair of his head began to grow. If you're here tonight and you're in a place of compromise and you're thinking, well, I'm getting away with it or the Lord either doesn't know he's ignorant or he doesn't care, he's apathetic. The reality is, is he's letting you run because he's gracious. But that grace is not to be used as a doormat. To continue to track through the mud of the world and then come and try and wipe our feet off at the doormat of His grace again. And and yes, He's a loving God. Absolutely. But He's a Father who loves His children. And He knows where it leads. And ultimately, He's going to reel us back in. And it may be painful. The better choice is to interrupt the process now. And so, Father, tonight... We thank you for the clear warning from your scripture regarding compromise that you have so much better in store for us than so much of what we lead ourselves into. Father, I pray that you challenge us. If there's an area of our life right now that your Holy Spirit would put a finger on that area where we're compromising and where we need to turn around in repentance And look again to you and ask your forgiveness. And then to receive that forgiveness. On the basis of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Lord, we receive that forgiveness tonight. And Father, then encourage us that you're a God of restoration. You're a God who gives us another chance. And another chance. And another chance. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. May we not presume upon it tonight, but Lord, may we just revel in it, rejoice in it, and enjoy it tonight as your forgiveness flows over us and cleanses us. Father, take us from this place rejoicing in you and encouraged in the way that you minister to your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.